did she survive the shark tank? You're about to find out during Shark Week on the Biz Women Rock podcast. Let's go. What's going on? This is Katie Kremitzos, your host of the Biz Women Rock podcast, and you heard it, Shark Week continues here. So this is what it's all about. All week long, we are featuring women who have been featured on Shark Tank during Shark Week, so you can learn a little bit more intimately about who they are and what their business journeys have been all about, uh, what their experience on Shark Tank has been like, and what the after effects of that have been for their business. One of the cool ways that we're celebrating and uh, really making sure to engage the entire Biz Women Rock community, that includes you during Shark Week, is for you to take a shark selfie. Go to bizwomenrock.com forward slash shark week and you will be given all of the cool graphics that have sharks and Biz Women Rock and all sorts of cool sayings on them so that you can take a shark selfie of yourself with your little graphic or as many graphics as you like. Get it up onto Facebook and to Twitter. Hashtag Biz Women Rock. Hashtag Shark Tank. Hashtag Shark Week. Uh, tag me, Katie Kremitzos. Uh, tag Barbara Corcoran if you like. Tag Lori Grenier if you like. Um, and uh, you're going to basically just share that. I'm going to be able to see it and we're going to watch these graphics literally go all over the world. It will blow your mind and you will connect with a lot of super cool business women um, who not only love the show, but really believe in sharing really great stories, specifically this week about women who've been on Shark Tank. So go to bizwomenrock.com forward slash Shark Week and get everything you need to share your shark selfie online. Whoo, that's a lot to say. Lots of shush, shush. <laughs> so let's get going with today's show. Today we have Emily Dubelay, and she and her business partner started Susty Party. Uh, they were featured on Shark Tank. Uh, they aired May of 2014. And Susty Party is this really great, like, uh, environmentally friendly, disposable um, party wear, basically. So you, we're talking your papers, your napkins, your straws, your cups, um, and all of that sort of stuff just to make parties really fun. But they're beautiful. Like, they're really beautifully designed. So these are not your normal, like, Dixie Cup stuff that you're going to see at the supermarket. These are gorgeous pieces, but they're eco-friendly, which is a huge thing. So they were featured on Shark Tank. Um, I'm, I'm going to spoil it for you, whether you remember the episode or not, but they did not get a deal. That aside, the whole point and what's so fascinating about this conversation is how much of an impact Shark Tank really had, not only on their business, but just exposure and opening doors for them which has been really interesting. Um, just before uh, they went on to Shark Tank, the numbers that they had announced on Shark Tank is that they had, uh, their business was doing like $1.2 million in sales every year. Um, they uh, now are in uh, stores like Whole Foods, Target, King Super, which is a, a, a portion of Kroger. So they're not a small company. I mean, they've done some major, major stuff. And Emily is so wonderful in this conversation about sharing how they work, uh, how they've grown, and the impact of Shark Tank with or without a deal and something super awesome that happened to them 
immediately after the show, okay? So let's get into it with Emily. Emily, thank you so much for coming on to the Biz Women Rock podcast. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you. I am happy to be talking to biz women who rock worldwide. <laughs> Woo! Uh, I love it. You're going to be like my official, like, you know, biz women rock kind of girl. <laughs> um, I love it. I love, you know, women who love biz and I love to rock. So. Uh. Obviously. Um, You created a really awesome company, Susty Party, uh, that I'm really interested in finding out more about as as far as like your whole business and your operation and your story behind that. But since we are celebrating Shark Week this week, um, we're definitely going to be talking about your experience on Shark Tank and how that's really made an imprint on your company. But let's start with a little bit of a foundation first. Um, Where did you get the idea to start Susty Party? Yeah, Susty Party is short for Sustainable Party Tableware. And the idea came from um, actually my passion of entertaining and throwing parties and getting everyone together, um, but also wanting to do something that was good for the environment and made a positive impact on people as well as the planet. So as I was hosting a lot of parties and even performance art, (laughs) crazy parties in Brooklyn where I was living, um, such as a global warming burlesque party and other themed parties to raise (laughs) awareness about the environment. Um, There was no party tableware that was convenient and disposable, but also biodegradable, plastic-free, and made responsibly. Like, So I wanted to create something that was eco-friendly, a tableware that was eco-friendly, and also to partner to make it fairly. So we work with nonprofits to employ the blind and the visually impaired and also give them training. So everything we make is basically um, to create positive social and environmental impact and let people have a really fun time. So, you know, I wanted to have fun parties and make a fun impact as well. And that's kind of how I thought of the idea and kind of became obsessed with it um, back in 2008. And by the end of 2009, um, we had started the company. Wow. And just to give everyone a visual, like these are, if you imagine like your paper cups that you, you know, are drinking your punch out of at a party and your and your paper plates. I mean, these these are very high quality products that you can have at a party. Your straws, your, you know, uh, plasticware, although yours is not plastic, but like, you know, like mm-hmm. your forks and spoons and all that sort of stuff. But it's beautiful. Like it's got this great design on it, great color. So it's, it looks very beautiful, but it's convenient and obviously you know, uh, it really melds with the environment, which is awesome. So I just wanted to give everyone that visual. So, um, so, you know, you had this idea and you were like, okay, I want to do this. What did you, like, what does somebody do when they say, I'm going to go create my own, uh, you know, biodegradable, earth-friendly paperware for parties? Like, what was your first steps in actually going and creating this stuff? Well, I, of course, did a lot of internet Googling. (laughs) And I read some books. Um, One book I read was The Four Hour Work Week. And I'm kind of embarrassed. (laughs) Yeah, I actually, it was definitely inspirational. It's a little embarrassing, you know, to admit 
that. I, you know, I haven't admitted it publicly, but it did really inspire me because he could, and I say it's embarrassing just because, of course, as I've learned, or at least I haven't learned to do anything four hours. You know what I'm saying? It's mm-hmm. more like 80-hour week for me. <laughs> but So I probably didn't do it well. But nonetheless, I it really inspired me to realize, okay, so, you know, anyone can start a business, and there's ways to do it, there's ways to you know, put up a website, test the market, um, invest in some Google ads to drive traffic, see if you can sell a product. Um, so the first thing I did was find some, and, and I was inspired by the suppliers who had some biodegradable cups, but no one had anything that was colorful, um, had beautiful patterns. Everything was pretty plain brown and white. But nonetheless, I thought, you know, Parties have to start somewhere, and I wanted to make a website that had a lot of information about making your party sustainable, as well as a little store. So I started that way and kind of roped in my friend who was a web designer at the time. Actually, I'll admit boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) Roped in, you know. Hey, girl's got to use whatever resources she's got, right? (laughs) Exactly. Got to use your resource. You got to use your network. So dating a guy who, you know, ran a web agency and he helped me find find a designer and put together a little website and um, I just looked up how to form an LLC online and did that myself without a lawyer, just sending in the, the paperwork. It was mm-hmm. actually very simple. And I started making some cold calls to some of these suppliers to kind of convince them hey, can I, you know, buy your stuff and resell it? And, of course, no one wanted to work with me at first because I had no business history. So I had to do some drastic things such as prepay for (laughs) for a bunch of stuff, which, you know, of course, is hard to do when you're a small business and you don't have cash. But I had to make an investment somewhere. So I actually ended up prepaying, maybe it was about, probably $5,000 to start and Just to get inventory. use the order. So, and, and they uh, weren't even going to take it, but I said, well, I've already sent you the check. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just sent it kind of renegade style and they weren't, you know, once no business is really going to turn down money. Right. Even if they were saying, well, we can't do it. You know, we can't do, cause I wanted them to drop ship for me to start. Right. And they said no, and I just kept calling and harassing until I got through to an owner, and then I sent the money, and they actually started doing it. And that was my first kind of experience into just testing the market, really, on selling biodegradable tableware, but then making it true, beautiful party tableware with a whole other chapter. But well, so- that was, this was just like the basic basic earliest part of how I got started. Well, so I was going to ask that as far as like, you know, you were talking to these distributors about all of this stuff that, you know, who could actually supply this. I mean, were you the one saying, because these guys didn't have the colorful stuff. Like, how did you make them make the colorful stuff for you? Did you, do you have to like special order that? Or are you the one designing it and then giving it to them? Yeah. How does that work? Yeah. So we're designing all our stuff now. Um, and, and we're choosing colors and patterns. So as you, as we grew the business um, and just did a ton of networking for years, a ton of research, 
talking to different factories and scientists, going to trade shows, working, you know, our personal relationships with all the different suppliers, as well as potential buyers. And I ended up in a meeting with Whole Foods Market in one of their regions. It was an incredible opportunity, um, given partly because we were young and they were supporting a new pilot program on companies founded by um, young people under 35 and gave us kind of like a mentorship and a a meeting so that we could pitch um, this idea of our party tableware. And so we hadn't... um, you know, we'd, we'd done some design on plain cups that entailed st- hand-stamping them because we hadn't had enough money or volume yet to do a whole custom printed run, right. which would usually be about 50,000 items minimum, wow. which is nothing for us now. But back then, you know, getting started, we didn't have it. So when we presented, um, we had to show kind of our ideas computer renderings or, you know, a design on paper that we printed out and then put on the cups. Um, and that's, but they liked it and they placed the first order. So we didn't make our own patterns and products until we had our first large order. And for us, our first large client was one region of Whole Foods Market. Wow. So I want to fast forward to present moment. Um, how... I know you sell online too, but how, like, what percentage of your business comes in via online orders? And then what percentage of business comes in via being in stores and locations like Whole Foods? Yeah, the, our retail and store business is our biggest. Um, it's about 70%. Okay. And online is about 30% right now. Um, so we still have a lot of um, awesome retail partners and we're slowly trying to ramp up online as well. (laughs) Got it. Okay. So one of the things that really struck me when I watched your segment on Shark Tank was, and I think it struck a couple of the sharks too, was that by the time you had gone on the show, uh, you aired May 2014. When did you actually go onto the show? We were all, we filmed it in September of 2013. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So in so as of September 2013, you you guys were grossing like over a million dollars in sales, which really I was like, "What? Are you kidding me?" And it really it blew my mind. Uh, you know, I think Robert was like, "Whoa, holy cow, I didn't I didn't realize that." How up until that point, talk about how you built that level of a business. And we'll talk about, you know, we'll talk about net profit and all that stuff afterwards. But talk about how how had you ramped up this business to, oh my gosh, I just need to send in this $5,000 in order for me to be able to have something to sell to doing a million dollars in sales? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, you know, that was so yeah, when we started at the end of '09, and then when we filmed, it was 2013. So it had been a few years. It wasn't an overnight success. Um, it, it does take time and hard work and sticking to it. Um, <laughs> we really, I, I think Whole Foods, like I mentioned, gave us our biggest break. Right. Um, and with them, um, they, they kept rolling us out to more and more stores and regions. So 
you know, a large part of that million dollars was had to do with working with them. And because their customer base also, I'm sorry, their customer base also cares about the sussy party story, how the products are made. Right. Um, you know, it, it's a great fit for the Whole Foods shopper. So I think, you know, having success in one region with 24 stores then led to another larger region that has 60 and then another two regions, another 100, or, you know, the next year was up, we had rolled out nationally. Mm. And then we were able to attract attention of other retailers. Like last fall, we did a program in Target stores. Oh, wow. And that was really big for us. And this summer, we're doing a program in King Supers, which is a division of Kroger. Hmm. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, the retail market is something that um, if you have a product that that is unique and that the customers enjoy, um, it's it's hard to get ever, to get in there, but it's definitely a way to scale up that we've used the most. Right. right. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about your Shark Tank experience. Um, you know, by the time you guys were applying to be on Shark Tank, it was already a thing. Like, you know, this is not the first year it was really easy to get on. You now were like competing with a lot of people. Um, why do you think you made the cut? Like, what do you think you did differently during the um, the whole interview process that really like made you shine through and even got you onto the TV show? Because, you know, we all know that just because you actually get to do your pitch in front of everyone and maybe even make a deal, it doesn't mean you're actually going to be on TV. So what do you think it was that you that you did throughout all of those phases of the interview process that really made you stand out? Well, when we sent our application, we sent a bunch of pictures <laughs> of um, my business partner and myself just to kind of you know, show that, okay, maybe we'll be interesting on TV. <laughs> got it. Um, you know, I guess... You, you appeal know. to the entertainment value of it. I got it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Smart right. I mean, I, we, we have a lot of energy. We like to have fun. We like to kind of just embody the stuffy party spirit. And working in Brooklyn, I think, you know, we consider ourselves pretty creative and um, a little bit unique or quirky in a certain way. Um, so we just tried to represent that and, and, and show that we would be entertaining and like high energy. And um, when we sent in our audition video, we also showed ourselves like dancing on the street <laughs> in Brooklyn, holding our products. And um, yeah, we just, Try to make it fun, and that's what we do. You know, we. But I think they could tell that we were authentic because I think that's something they screen for. It's like they don't want someone going on um, with an act, right. you know. And even though we're kind of crazy and out there, that's actually how we are. <laughs> right, right. So we just said, well, this is a strength that we're kind of cuckoo, and we might as well, you know, go with it and put it, you know use it to get this great publicity opportunity. And and we had a lot of interviews with the producers. And I think having a business with traction as well, because um, right. we were, as we were applying, nearing the million-dollar mark. And, you know, when we filmed, we were beyond it. So that 
was something really impressive to the producers as well. Mm. So talk about, let's talk a little bit about your actual time in the Shark Tank. What were some of the biggest like pieces of advice that you got? Because your session was actually really good because they were they were like giving you pieces of advice. They were telling you, well, here's what I think you should do. Here's like a big red flag. And they're being they were just being very like in a good critical way of what's going on in your business and their vantage point of it. What was the what were some of the biggest takeaways that you got that really stuck with you guys um, after the show? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people criticize us all the time, say with this similar criticism that they showed on the show. Well, someone else could just come and do this. You know, what's so unique about what you guys are doing? Um, So my takeaway from it is really any business can be copied. (laughs) I mean, you know, someone making cookies could easily have their recipe copied. Um, You know, someone making, like, you know, a fashion line could have that copied. So, yeah, I mean, we're not doing something that no one else can copy, but I still don't think that should be something that discourages, um, like, business owners. Um, You know, definitely we're aware of competition, but that's just some, I don't know if it's necessarily a takeaway, but I think a lot of people still kind of tell us, well, you know, you guys were okay on Shark Tank, but it sounds like you didn't have a good answer for the fact that anyone can copy you. So it's kind of like, well, in my opinion, anything can be copied and, you just have to do it better. You know, you just have to do it in your way. And that's a lot, a lot of what building a business is about, in my opinion. I mean, other people might tear that down, but you know, we've been able to survive this far. Right, right. (laughs) And we do, you know, we have a lot of unique aspects and like I've talked to a lot um, more seasoned um, industry folks in the same industry. And they think, you know, we've done a good job of protecting certain assets of ours, certain, um, the way we do it, the way we work with factories, it's not the most simple thing. So Mm -hmm. I think, I don't know, that's a topic of conversation. And another takeaway was, um, that we didn't like manage our inventory. Well, people were surprised that we had a lot tied up in inventory. Um, but I also feel like, well, that's, consumer products when you're dealing with retailers, you can't just make it to order because you'll miss the order from the store Um, unless you, like, have a really impossibly fast turnaround time of of making, getting all your raw materials, turning it into finished goods, you know, getting all your packaging and then packaging it and then sending it off. It, It definitely takes longer than would be reasonable for, I think, any consumer packaged good company to fulfill to a large company like Target or Whole Foods. You can't just be flying by the seat of your pants. So I do, you know, they were concerned that we had too much inventory, but we have turned over our inventory many times since the show. Got it. Okay. So I don't know. <laughs> well, and that's, I don't what know. I, that's what I was going to ask, like, because it was Mark Cuban who had brought that up about, like, kind of like operational management, right? Like how... Um, even though you had been over a million dollars in sales, you at th- at that moment, I think had just become profitable or had uh, maybe months before, you know, still posted sort of an $80,000 loss. I mean, you guys were still really trying to get in the black and keep up. And so when he's saying like, oh, you, you know, you have $125,000 in inventory. So my question is, 
like, did you take that kind of, you know, look into your business and have you, even with, even with your comments now about like, hey, you know, we kind of know this industry and we know we kind of have to keep a lot of inventory and that's okay. Um, you know, have you cleaned up your operation a little bit? Have there been like efficiencies that have been created in order to do that? Like, did you look at that or how, how did you respond business wise to that? Yeah, we definitely looked at it a lot. And it honestly, there's no quick fix, so it is an issue. Right. Um, it is, like, I think an issue, like any growing business. I mean, inventory management is hard. Um, so at least it's hard for us. But, you know, really my business partner handle oversees the finance and operations. Um, so she's gone through different inventory systems, um, you know, we recently were working with um, a recent MBA graduate on updating the inventory system. But, yeah, there's definitely, like, production planning that happens, and we keep an eye on inventory, and um, anything that's slow-moving, we try to liquidate. Um, so we've done that. We have flash sales on the site as well to get rid of, you know, inventory that's slow-moving. But, you know, we, it's not like we're selling just one item. So right. we had 120000 of one thing. You know, right. we're dealing with over 80 different stocking units. So it's, you know, we, we might have 1000 here, 1000 there, and that will quickly add up to 120000 Right. Now, on the show, you ended up um, getting a deal offered to you from Mr. Wonderful, and it wasn't a great deal, but it was one that was there. Um, And he, you know, sort of, I think you guys had a couple of back and forths and things like that. How come you and Jessica decided not to take that deal? Well, we, as we said on the show, we thought we could find a better deal. And we ended up going out and shortly after the show, raising um, more money and at a better deal, a better valuation for us. So it was definitely tempting. Um, You know, you want (laughs) to, it's scary. You know, you want to get money so you can grow the business and not shut your doors. Um, But you also want to balance that with well, what's the market of investors like? Right. You know, are there, is this like your only offer that you're going to get? Or are there people that could be interested? Because the valuation is whatever the market assigns it. You know what I mean? There's no hard and fast rule on valuation for for startup companies. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really what an investor will pay for it. So we tried to do research before the show. So we had a background, you know. Um, even though we hadn't raised money before the show, we had reached out to investors and started to do some pitching. Um, and then kind of had a sense of, you know, what we might get a deal on. So we knew that, you know, when he offered it, even though we had nothing else guaranteed, we thought, let's just take a risk and, you know, a calculated risk that there's something better for us out there. Um, and also a more mission-aligned investor because we definitely had doubts about his environmental and ethical um, business sense. <laughs> so um, one thing I'm always curious about is what the Shark Tank effect did to your business. Um, you know, you walked off the show without a deal, 
But a, a deal or not, the impact of being able to be seen and have that publicity and have people all of a sudden know about your business is huge. So what kind of effect did it have on you guys right away? Yeah, I mean, that night, the night it aired and the whole weekend was, you know, one of our best sales um, weekends. So it really had a nice immediate boost. And... Now, even a year out, whenever it re-airs, we get a good boost in traffic. Right. But it really, I think the most important thing was a little bit more immaterial. Not really tied to the sales metrics so specifically, but more the um, the doors that it opened. And almost, I guess you can say the networking value, um, because or the PR value of it, even beyond sales but just to have that credibility um, and to get meetings, get your foot in the door, have a voice. That's really powerful for us. And we've met, been able to meet people, been able to attract members of our team um, from high-level, executive-level people to even investors to other, you know, media to even suppliers. Um, It's just people love... People love TV, you know? Yeah. I mean, I love TV. It's exciting, you know? You Someone's on TV and sharing their story, and, you know, people have a reaction to that. And we've seen, certainly we've, we've had experience with haters, if you will, and, you know, people who are kind of mean about it. But even more than that, we've had the experience that, wow, you know, if we say this, we can get a meeting. You know, we can get a sales meeting here, um, a lot of people have watched it, and it just jogs their memory, and they get excited, and maybe they would have slammed the door on me before, but now they're willing to meet me. So I think that's the most invaluable part. I love that, and I think that's very true. I hear that from every single person who's been on Shark Tank is just like that kind of the doors it opens and the legitimacy it gives you. I don't care how horrible. I've had, I've, I met somebody um, last year who like tanked in the Shark Tank, like they did, it just was not a good representation of them or their business. But he just talks about it so boldly and is so proud of it. And it does, it opens doors for him no matter what, which I just find so fascinating. So, um, so since all of that has happened and since everything has aired, like, um, and, you know, since you sort of have had that Shark Tank boost, what has been your main focus in this business and and what sort of strides have you made in the evolution of the company since it aired a year ago? Um, obviously, you got your investor. What did that allow you to do and how have you evolved since then? So when it aired, um, or between when it aired and <laughs> well, we, we, we were able to launch new items. Um, so last May... Um, right after it aired, we launched this really, like, my favorite product is a party pack. So it's everything you would need for a party in one box. Um, cutlery, plate, cups, straw, napkin. And so I just love, yeah, being able to design new products from the patterns to even the packaging and then be able to bring that to stores nationwide and walk into the store and see people buying it for their picnics. Um, so people were using it last summer, and that felt, like, really awesome to me. So that was, like, one of my proudest accomplishments, and the investment in Shark Tank definitely helped make that happen. Right. Um, and then 
we were just able to um, work on developing new products that we're about to launch at the end of August. So we have some new items, including a to-go cup with a biodegradable lid, and that's going to launch in King Supers, which is a division of Kroger. So we really reinvest in, in new product development, um, also market research to see what our customers love, what they want to see, um, and creating more jobs for the blind and visually impaired, the nonprofits that we partner with, has also been super rewarding. So we just, you know, we've been growing in the newer product angles that I can't yet reveal, but we have a bunch of stuff in the works nice. <laughs> that might surprise, that might be a little surprising. <laughs> very, very cool. Um, what would you say, Emily, that you have learned throughout all of these years of running this company? If you could, I'm sure that there are a zillion lessons, but if you could point out one that has been sort of foundational in your own evolution as a businesswoman, what would that be? A, a lesson that is foundational for me? Yeah. Hmm. I mean... I guess one lesson that I still come to terms with is that, um, you know, like, like no one has it all figured out, and that's okay. <laughs> right. Um, because I think, and I mean, part of an entrepreneur's kind of support group as well <laughs> that we had this discussion about. But, I, you know, everyone I've spoken to about this has, has said, you know, at some time in your life you feel like you're faking or you're an imposter or you don't know what you're doing. Or I felt that way, and whenever I've honestly asked people, so far people have admitted that they've been or another. So I think, you know, for me, it's a lesson that, um, you know, that I think it has helped us work through things because you can't be perfect all the time. You don't always know what you're doing. Um, and that can really be an emotional roller coaster because um, it, it's really stressful. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I think at least it's something I would like to share to other big women who rock. You know, it's, it's okay to be figuring things out as you go and doing your best, but you're not going to know or, I, you know, I don't feel like I know all the answers all the time, but I just kind of, you know, do my best. <laughs> <laughs> and figure it out and fall on your face and get back up and fall on your face and get back up. <laughs> right. <laughs> we all do that. We all do that. Um, the last question that I'm really interested in knowing is uh, how, like, what do you do? Like, what practical things do you do when you fall on your face? When, when things don't look so good, how do you get yourself out of it? Right. Well, one, I have a really great relationship with my business partner. So we can just talk things through and don't hold anything back. And that's also really important is, you know, being able to be really honest about any issues and not sugarcoat anything. <laughs> right. Even when it's hard, you know, to be honest, even when it's hard, um, even when it's uncomfortable. So... We do, you know, I do that with her, and I also have an entrepreneur's, a peer group of entrepreneurs that I meet with every month, um, 
and we share with each other. We like to really go deep and share our experiences, both business and it's very structured. We've actually it's a it's a formal program of the entrepreneurs organization, Got which it. is a nationwide, um, actually global network of entrepreneurs who have founded businesses doing over a million dollars per year in revenue. And basically, you can take the, if you join and then take a training, you can have this incredible support. I kind of joke that it's like Alcoholics Anonymous, but for entrepreneurs. <laughs> <laughs> like AA, but for entrepreneurs. And anyway, so if I feel like I'm falling on my face, I actually have this support group where I can call an emergency meeting or I, can, or I wait till the monthly meeting and share it with them and, and ask for their experience, you know, how or can, you know, talk to them. So I think, yeah, having a network of people. And, of course, I also we also have our board of advisors. Yeah, for me, it's really about the relationships that I have. I love it. Well, Emily, I want to thank you so much for being here, for sharing your story, and for, uh, for just being able to uh, share about what it's been like running this company. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Katie, and thank you all the biz women who rock, who are out there. (laughs) And thank you for doing this awesome podcast. You know, when I saw Emily on Shark Tank, she's just got this like awesome, cute, crazy artist, fun, uh, (laughs) bubbly, sunshine personality. Uh, And I loved it. So I was so excited to talk to her, and she was exactly that way during the call as well. Like just really, really beautiful person. And I really appreciated her being here. One of the things that I really uh, liked from this conversation is uh, her answer to why they decided not to take the deal with Kevin, even though it was the only deal that they were getting. And it sort of seemed like desperate at the time and like, oh my gosh, okay, we should just grab that straw. But they chose not to, which I thought was very strong of them. Um, and then they ended up getting a better deal. They found a better investor who was more in line with what they were doing, more in line with their mission, took less percentage of their company, gave them more money, and they just because they just believed in it. And I really found that very powerful. So um, remember, even something as sh- as big as Shark Tank is not the end all be all for your business all the time. I just thought that that was a really great lesson. All right, we've got a few more days of. Shark Week here on the Biz Women Rock podcast. Uh, if you have not yet caught up on all of the other fabulous ladies who have been featured on Shark Tank during Shark Week, make sure you go to bizwomenrock.com and go check them all out. They all have awesome stories, all of them. And don't forget to post your shark selfie on Facebook and Twitter. Go to bizwomenrock.com forward slash shark week and you'll get all the graphics you need to do so. I will see you out there in social media land. And uh, we have our very last interview coming up tomorrow uh, with a little wrap up as well. And uh, man, this has just been such an awesome week of ladies who've been on Shark Tank. Really inspiring and really informative uh, stories. Hope you've enjoyed them as well. I'll see you tomorrow for the last show uh, to wrap up Shark Week. All right. See ya.